If you are new to Sunday night, most of you are not, but for the the record of those who may be or might be a guest, on Sunday nights we're doing a series called Journey with John. And in that series, basically, we're going through the Gospel of John, looking at uh, the footsteps of Jesus, wherever they lead us, at least through John's John's Gospel. So if you're following along in your Bible tonight, you're going to turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 24 I thought we might try to tackle the entire chapter, but I think that would be a, a piece too big to try to chew off. So we're going to split it up just a little bit. Uh, next Sunday, Jimmy Keys will be speaking Sunday morning, Sunday night, doing that uh, while most of the, or I don't know, third or half of the congregation is away at Rock Springs, and uh, we'll be there for family camp. So uh, whether you're here or there, uh, we hope that you'll be encouraged, and I know Jimmy always does a great job uh, for the folks here. I'm grateful for him. We're going to start in chapter 7, as I said. We're going to be at verse 1. Um, we're just going to read through to verse uh, 24. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near... Jesus, brothers, said to him, You ought to leave here and go to to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become, become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, The right, the not, right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to the feast because, for me, the right time has not yet come. Verse 9. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asked, "Uh, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and began began to ask, where did this, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find that whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Verse 20. You are demon possessed. The crowd said, who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle. And you are all astonished. And yet... Because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child 
can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. As we enter chapter 7, uh, we've moved in time. Although, and this happens often in the scripture, we, we go from one chapter to the next and maybe a great deal of time has passed. How we know this is because uh, they are now at the Feast of Tabernacles, which, uh, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, but uh, the last time in chapter 6 they were at the Passover, which was around April in our calendar. Uh, here they're at the tabernacle, Feast of Booths or the Tabernacles or the Sukkoth, which is a, uh, occurs about mid-September to October. So there's a span of time that has elapsed here, and, and John simply kind of glosses over it by saying, Jesus went around in Galilee. He was walking, and if you think about it, he spent a couple of days in the last chapter uh, speaking to and teaching the, the crowd of probably 20,000 or so, and now uh, he spent some six months walking with his disciples, teaching them and, and admonishing them. So some time has passed since our last, the last time we saw Jesus. Were, uh, of course, that the Feast of Tabernacles will be in Jerusalem. Uh, he, we start chapter 7. He's not there yet, but he's going to, to move into it. And so uh, the first thing I want to talk about is this idea that Jesus is the true and better tabernacle. Um, for us Gentiles studying and understanding the Jewish feasts and all of the uh, details that went into them, uh, some of it's interesting, but most of it's just outside of our world. I mean, it's not something that we celebrate, that we really acknowledge uh, to a great degree. And so it's hard for us to jump back into the world of, of their celebrations and their feasts and the things that God had ordained and commanded. This feast is one of three that they were commanded to celebrate uh, every every single year. Uh, they had the uh, Passover. I was going to forget the third one. Um, I'll come to it. Bad Passover, Day of Atonement, and and uh, then this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. It is uh, something that's commanded, and we see this in Leviticus chapter twenty-three. Um, and so the the sorry, excuse me. Um, these were the first one of three feasts where the Israelites were commanded go annually. And Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen says, "Appear before the Lord your God in the place which He shall choose." It was an annual appointment with God. It was a time when they were to come and remember what God had done, to celebrate what God had done, and to acknowledge it uh, in a way. It takes place on the 15th of the Hebrew month Tishri, which I'm pretty sure most of us, including myself, are not familiar with. But on the Roman calendar, as I said, that occurs around September or October. The feast itself lasted a full week, and what they did was... <clears throat> Began, began five days after the, the Day of Atonement, and they went in, and it was a celebration of the harvest. Now, the harvest that they celebrated earlier in the year is the wheat harvest, the grain harvest. This harvest at this time of the year is of the grain, of the olives and the grapes. 
And so it was a different type of harvest, but it was still a very celebratory one. And they enjoyed it, and they made these little booths that they would stay in. If you were in a house, sometimes they would erect the booth on top of the flat roof there. And if you were coming in from out of Jerusalem uh, and you were just traveling, you would go out in basically to the fields and erect your little hut that you would stay in for the week. Uh, It was a big time. And uh, as we near the season of family camp, it's, you know, uh, I'm sure the same spirit of people and families and uh, celebration and telling of old stories and, and being encouraged with one another's presence. Um, Rock Springs Ranch isn't quite to the level of staying in booths, but uh, theirs was a little more rustic, of course. It was a time of joyous celebration as they celebrated the God's not only provision in the wilderness, but also his provision for them now. And it was... Um, we find the instructions for the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus chapter 23. So this is kind of the historical background of it. Um, just imagine, though, if you will, these thousands of thousands upon thousands of Jews coming to Jerusalem for the purpose of this celebration. The erection of these little uh, booths and huts uh, from the branches and that just sort of spreading out over the countryside. It must have been a, a fantastic sight. All of the feasts of Israel, all of them, were a, served a purpose, similarly to what we celebrate when we celebrate our own feast every week. Uh, we're reminded of what God did and what God is doing now. And it's the same way with uh, all of these feasts. And so it was something that they was part of their history and certainly a part of the legacy. Uh, John wrote in chapter 1, He says, um, verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, why do I jump from the Feast of Tabernacles to telling you about this verse? Well, the Word in the Greek that he used here, in my translation, says, made His dwelling is the word for tabernacle, a a dwelling place that was temporary in nature, same as the booths. Uh, The reference toward the feast that John was uh, telling us about, the occasion for celebration, he says at the beginning of this book, when we understand Jesus, what he's doing is coming and, and setting up his tent, setting up his tabernacle among us. Not for a permanent length of time, but for a small, short time, uh, and that what it would do would bless not only us, but the entire world as well. So that gives us a little bit of background and understanding um, the nature of what the Tabernacle Feast was all about, and why it was so important that all these these Jews were there, and what Jesus' role in that. As we start out chapter 7, everybody's going, and he's kind of staying back. He doesn't want to be a part of that. And his brother's... Say, hey, you need to go there. I mean, if you're a public figure, if you're doing all these miracles, it's where you need to be. This is the place to be if you're going to do this kind of work, if you're going to be a public figure. And Jesus makes it clear, again, as we've kind of talked about before. You know, they had an idea of what he came to do. They had an idea of his purpose and his timing. And that wasn't what Jesus had in mind. Uh, it's a good lesson for us, I think, too, uh, understanding about the importance of avoiding the wrong timing and be obedient in the right timing. A lot of times, 
We make the mistake of going to one extreme or the other, but most of the time it's just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do and ask God to come bless me. Maybe we would do well to follow Jesus' example of considering his timing. That when Jesus gives you an answer that you don't like or doesn't answer in the way that you expect, perhaps the timing is different. Uh, Perhaps you're not out of, uh, that, that God is against you, you're just out of sync and that the answer will come in the right time. Jesus is very clear uh, that my time has not yet come. This is verse 6. Uh, for you, any time is right. Uh, and, and that says something that I, you know, I, I can really be a finger pointed at me. You know, I, When I come up with an idea, when I come up with a plan, any time seems right. As, the sooner the better, right? But that's not always the case with God. Uh, many times God will give us... Uh, the vision before he gives us the right timing. Uh, or he'll say, I need you to wait because you're not ready or they're not ready, or whatever the case may be. Jesus had a, a clear understanding of that. All the way back to his very first miracle, when he says to his own mother, woman, my time has not yet come. Uh, he was keenly aware, I think, throughout his whole life. And you know, honestly, Jesus didn't have a lot of time to waste. He was, in the truest sense, a tabernacle, a temporary place of dwelling. And he was mindful of that, that even though he had three years, he didn't have uh, that sh- certainly a short time to start a ministry, train the disciples, um, and get them ready for what they're going to do as well. So Jesus was keenly aware of God's timing and obedient to it. And that's a good lesson for us. So second lesson is that the world despises his light. And I'm not sure why it's not advancing, but if you could advance it for me, that'd be great. Next slide. Oh, it locked up. Okay. So, this is the point where I tell some stories. <laughs> um, Jesus, uh, well, let's just go back to the text. Um, one of the elements of the tabernacles uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was two elements, light and water. And I'll go into a lot more detail than, um, than you're interested in hearing, but uh, he's going to get to this. In fact, this is leading up to our theme verse of the year in chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he's getting to um, pointing out about who he is in this feast and why that's important. But in verse, we're in verse uh, 7 of chapter 7. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, uh, we hear that and that's an encouraging thing. We see light as a good thing. But that's not always the case. If you're in darkness, and certainly when we're talking about darkness, talking about evil behavior and doing things that are wrong and so forth, um, you don't always want the light. Uh, Things happen in darkness that uh, allow ourselves to to kind of have the illusion that we're hidden, that no one can see us. Um, It's a pretty natural thing, by the way, to see some of the most sinful, troubling behaviors happen at night. When the lights go off. So there's, there's an, uh, a way in which it affects us. But he says the world cannot hate you. He's talking to his brothers. But it hates me 
because I testify that its deeds are evil. In other words, I'm the light. I'm, I'm pointing out what's right. I'm also, by default, pointing out what's wrong. People don't like that. And by the way, he's, he's speaking here to his brothers. He's talking about the world. As we'll look at it a little later, the world can refer to non-religious, but can also speak to people who are religious and worldly and how they act. So um, there's a broader umbrella, I think, than sometimes we think about when the world. The world hated him and would eventually hate his disciples, too. I think that's part of being a disciple is as you follow Jesus, those footsteps lead into things that the world says, you know, that's just if, if you're going to believe that you are bigoted and hate filled and yada, yada, yada. Um, we have to pay attention to not what the world says, but to what Jesus says about these things. The world loves Jesus to the point where he fits in their box. If Jesus is mild and meek and compliant and tolerant and, and oh my goodness, non-judgmental, if he just hangs out with sinners, if he just kind of sits there at the party and he just nods and smiles, oh, the world loves that picture of Jesus. That's not the biblical picture of Jesus, by the way, by any means, but the world loves that Jesus, that Jesus that they can box up and, and package real nicely. The religious world has a box for Jesus, you know. If he can, if he can kind of fit in the, in the things that we're comfortable with and that we like, you know, we're okay with Jesus. Uh, Jesus, sometimes though, in things that he says, he really steps on our toes and makes us think. <clears throat> the religious world of their day, of course, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people that were murmuring and complaining and, and looking for any reason to accuse him. Uh, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they would find out they could not stop him. And I think that's pretty clear in this chapter as well. Jesus didn't fit in either box. And I think that's one of the lessons that we will learn as we go continue to go through John. When you follow Jesus, um, you're not fitting in as everyone wants you to fit in. You're following and fitting in with what Jesus calls you to do. Let's talk a little bit about darkness. Um, if if we're seeking Jesus as the light and understanding that and what he'll again, eventually get to in John chapter 8, uh, we need to understand what he's talking about when he talks about darkness. Um, I alluded to it earlier with the idea of evil behavior. That's one part. I think the second part is the darkness of ignorance or lack of understanding. John uh, writes about these two types of darkness in several different ways. So if you've got your Bible open, Sunday night crowd should. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 is where you're going to turn. He starts out the book by saying, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Some translations... <clears throat> Uh, read, the darkness does not comprehend it. I really think that's true um, when there's light coming into the darkness, and certainly in, in the dark world there's a, a lack of understanding, uh, a lack of ability to understand. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 12. We've already alluded to it and read it, but 
Go ahead and read it again. You'll talk about this later on. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'll get to more of that on that lesson, but um, I really believe he's talking more about walking in ignorance and walking in lack of understanding, which was certainly the case with the Jewish leaders of the day. They weren't immoral necessarily. I think they were very righteous, uh, but they walked in darkness, meaning they were blind. They, they didn't have understanding. They lacked the ability to see. Okay, John chapter 12, verse 35. This is the last one we'll look at. Then Jesus told them, he's speaking to his disciples, that you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. And as he's talking about his death, you know, certainly there was, that was a dark day, literally, but it was dark to them because they had a diff- the story didn't end the way that they predicted, and so they were walking in darkness. And Jesus is admonishing them there to seek the light while they have it. Seek understanding. All right, the second one is darkness um, that refers to evil behavior. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. He's talking to Nicodemus. Light has come into the world. And, by the way, he's speaking here at night, remember. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Okay. Um, I don't know if you ever have days where you just like read the news and you're like, how much worse can it get, really? You know, it gets pretty bad. It gets pretty dark out there. Why is it that that is appealing to some people? Jesus says, you know, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. As long as they think that that darkness allows them some sort of protection, they like the darkness, they like the shadows, they like being cloaked. Um, <clears throat> John chapter 11, verse 10. It's being given to the disciples. The context is the death of Lazarus. Uh, he says... <clears throat> It is when he walks, let me go ahead and back up to verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Um, and then chapter 12, verse 46. Just one chapter over. I've come into the world as a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So, again, we understand coming to Jesus as the light. And I'm going to make a large assumption that the majority of the crowd that I'm speaking to tonight has come to the light. Our understanding of that, then, is that light is good and light is helpful and life, light uh, guides and directs and it brings righteousness and so forth. Uh, but light by the world's standard, they despise the light. They despise the understanding that Jesus brings. They despise the condemnation that Jesus brings. Uh, when you come into the, his light, uh, it abolishes any excuse for ignorance, 
or lack of understanding. It abolishes any um, shallow, flimsy argument you might have for dark and evil behavior. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when Jesus hates you. We talked this year about being a conduit for the light. And that's a good thing. We should do that. But if his light shines through you, there will be a, a, wor- a world out there that despises the light. It doesn't love it and doesn't need it and doesn't desire it and doesn't want it, be it at school, at work, social situations, that they don't desire the light. We, we love the light, generally speaking. Um, and if there are areas of your life where you don't love the light, then that indicates a problem. The third th- lesson that we learn from this, this part of this uh, story is that the father entrusted the son. Uh, chapter 7, verse 16 of the, the story, he says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Uh, he's going back to the source. I mean, all through John, we've been seeing over and over again this idea of from above. I am from above. My teaching is from above. Listen to my Father. It's just, he's pointing back to the way again and again and again to the Father. And he's saying, listen, this is not from me. This is, this is what I'm telling you is what the Father wants me to tell you. And I think this is a, a, a really good practical thing for us to understand in our conversations and we're getting in a world that increasingly, as I said, despises the light more and more. The darker it gets, the more that the light becomes more uh, easily seen and hated. And so as we think about that, I think what Jesus does here is, you know, when you get to those subjects, however taboo they are, uh, you're talking about homosexuality or abortion or transgender or any of that stuff, uh, even if you try to do that with meekness and fear, uh, the world's going to pretty quickly say, oh, you're a hater, you're a bigot. You know, they're going to label you and put you in a category. And that label and that categorization says, okay, you don't have to listen to them now. And Jesus faced in a different way, but is similar in saying, you know, his approach was, listen, this message is not from me. This message is from my father. And in those conversations where we are forced to engage, where we need to speak the word with courage and conviction and truth and love and all of that, I think a, a really wise thing to do is to say, listen, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus, here's what Jesus said about the matter. And that's final, you know, and that's not from me, that's from him. And Jesus would say, that's not me, that's from him. So I think it's a good thing to remember the source and remember the Father and point to the Father in all things that we do. Um, all right, well, run out of time here, so I want to give you three quick uh, things. First, don't be surpri- surprised or shocked when the world hates you. When you follow Jesus, and I'm convinced the longer you follow Jesus and the more in love with him you become, uh, the more the world hates you. Uh, John chapter 15, he'll say, verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world hates you? There's a reason for that, because you don't fit in. You belong to the light, and darkness doesn't love the light. 
Second lesson we learn is walk with purpose. Go towards the light. Seek Jesus over the darkness. In a dark world, sometimes it's easy to want to succumb, to compromise, to give in, to let go. And I think tonight's story should help us encourage us to, to seek the light. The world hated Jesus because he was a light coming into their darkness. And they were protective of the darkness. When we reflect the light, the truth, and the righteousness, the world's going to act the same way they did toward Jesus. Now, they may not try to crucify us, but, but in some ways they'll, they'll do their best. First John chapter five, I'm sorry, first John chapter one, verses five through seven. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Seek the light. Uh, not just, I mean, don't just seek it to point it at others, but really to point it at yourself. That's the point of a relationship with Jesus is to let him into the dark areas. And finally, avoid autopilot. Use your brain. I wish I had more time to uh, talk about this, but at the end of the chapter he says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Uh, the next time the person you're talking to about the Bible or you're in discussion and they bring up the, the well-quoted verse of judge not lest you be judged, which is their verse to say, see, God doesn't want you to ever use your brain. You need to accept everything and be okay with everything. You need to quote John chapter 7, verse 24, which Jesus himself says, stop judging by mere appearances and learn to make a right judgment. A phrase I often use with my children is a three-letter phrase, use your brain. Kids are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. But kids can be a lot dumber than you give them credit for, too. Um, and we have, to, we have to intentionally, as parents, encourage them to think, to discern, to decide. It's like you can make enough rules to prepare them for the world. You have to learn to get them to think and understand. So uh, may we do that. In our entertainment, are we seeking the darkness or the light? In our friendships, are we seeking the darkness or the light? In our work... Are we letting the darkness come in or are we being a conduit of light? Use his word and use his spirit to discern wisely and avoid going on autopilot. It's very dangerous, so engage your brain. I hope chapter 7 tonight was helpful and useful for you. Uh, next week, as I said, Jimmy Keys will be here tonight. If you have a need, uh, if you want to put on Christ and begin that journey uh, by confessing him as Lord and by being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd be glad to help you with that. If you have any other need, if you've been walking in darkness and you need to repent of that, or we can encourage you to keep walking in the light. We're glad to help in any way as together we stand and sing.